Inside 20 is brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more info. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared during each podcast are the beliefs of Inside 20 Associates and the guests participating. Here today with our first guest. He needs no introduction. If you don't know who this is, you've likely been living under a rock. The one, the only, Jason Sankowiak. And for those of you that have been living under a rock and somehow do have internet, we're going to post where you can find them in the description. Don't worry. So I understand you're moving to our beautiful home state of Georgia. Well, moving down there full time in uh, in November. Now, technically, I won't actually get a chance to enjoy being down there till mid December. I got a call as soon as I get down there. I'm immediately dropping a trailer and then turning around and uh, I got to go hunt. I'm going on an out of state hunt for for eight days. Come back. I'm home for two days and then I got a wedding to shoot in Georgia, my first Georgia wedding, and then I'm going to turn around and the next day drive. Uh, 18 hours to another out-of-state hunt, and then I come back for Thanksgiving, and then I got to turn around and drive back to Michigan to do a double wedding weekend up there, and then I get to uh, uh, mid-December is when I'll actually get, I'll actually be in Georgia full time. That's awesome. So officially, like to welcome you to the state. I know that you've been down here hunting for for many years, uh, pig hunting and, and deer hunting. Am I right about that? Well, I've been down there. I came down uh, three years ago was my first time I ever, ever been here. And I came down to do a self-guided on my own kind of pig hunt. I've hunted pigs on preserves uh, back in the nineties, you know, in, in, uh, in Tennessee and Ohio Hill country and things like that. And, you know, we used to go to these uh, ranches that were like 12, 12,000, 15,000 acres. They were huge. And you would hunt pigs there for three days and it was really good. Um, back in the, like I said, nineties. And in the, I think I stopped about 2001, uh, but killed a dozen pigs or so that way. And then I was kind of getting the itch for it. And I knew that it was public down here. So I came down and did it on my own. Um, Steve Angel actually came out and hunted with me for a day when I came down here, but I came down for a two day trip just to see what it was about. And I ended up, uh, Steve hunted with me for a half a day in a pouring rain. And then he, he left. And then, uh, that I hunted and then at night, I ended up uh, finding good sign and stuff and set up and I had a pig. I had a big uh, boar walk into within like three yards of me, right at dark, face on, and uh, never gave me a shot because as soon as I started to raise my bow to try and get ready for a broadside shot, um, I figured he's going to walk right into me or he's going to go just left or right. And I was just trying to get ready. Well, he busted me and bailed right out of there. But from that moment on, I was hooked. I mean, I had walked like 16 miles in two days in, in, the North Georgia area in the mountains. It was brutal hard um, in the rain. Oh, it was amazing. It was an incredible trip. And uh, so then the next year I came down, we bought a camper and I brought my wife down and we stayed down here and I loved it. And then, so we came down two times that year. And then this year or last year, we came down two more times for two week trips. And then we said, you know what, Uh, let's just sell the camper and buy a house. So we sold the camper put that money down on a house when we bought a house and we were going to just use it for winters. We came down this winter as our first full winter down here. I was down here from uh, end of December all the way through uh, April, beginning of April. And we loved it so much on the way home in April there, we decided, you know what, let's just, let's just call it. Let's just make it reality. So we went home, listed our house, sold our house, uh ready i knew i couldn't come down here till november but i thought the market's high let's sell our house we sold our house in three days 
And uh, with like what we have, I think see, I, we had five offers. Yeah, five offers in three days on our house. The market was high and good, so we sold it. And then uh, we now are in a rental house uh, that we're renting in that same area until we can be down here in November. But uh, lots of big changes. You know, I got a you know I'm self-employed with a few different businesses that I'm going to try and transfer down here. I don't know how well they'll do or you know, how things, a lot of things in the air, but point being, we're excited to get down here. It's a sportsman's paradise. It's my favorite place to hunt. Um, I love the swamps. I love everything down here. I've killed now, I think, uh, eight or nine or 10 pigs down here in the last three years. I killed a doe down here last year. Uh, well, I was actually still hunting for pigs in December down here last year. I ended up, uh, seeing a doe and I was able to stay with her for about an hour and actually, uh, get into about 16 yards and shoot her and, and put that in the freezer. And so it's been uh, just, a, I, I love this state. I love everything about it. Can't wait to be down here full-time. Absolutely. And, and for those who don't know, Jason is a full-time traditional bow hunter. He's been hunting with a stick bow for how, how many years now, Jason? I was 19 and I'm 49. So 30 years now, right? Is that right? Oh, yeah. Wow. 30 years. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. It's a commitment. It's just fun. There's, you know, there's never a, uh, uh, never a dull moment with a traditional bow, you know, I mean, and you, you just always try to shoot it better and better and you just can't, I mean, you, like I said, you can't max out, you can't be as good as you'll ever be, you, you know, it's just always a challenge and it's just fun. You know, there's nothing mechanical on them that goes wrong. There's no sight pins that get loose. There's no technology to mess with. It is a stick and a string, just like when you were a kid and you basically went out in the yard, you grabbed a piece of, you know, a maple branch and put a string on it, or you had that little fiberglass bow and all. You, nobody had to tell you how to do nothing. You just yank it back and shoot it. You know, yeah. that was what it was all about. And that's, that's what I love about it. Yeah. That's part of what drove me to make the switch from compound is I, I, you know, I broke down. I ended up telling Matt, I said, man, I'm, I'm tired of all these these gadgets on my my bow. You know, if, if if I screw something up, I want it to be my fault. So yeah, I understand what you're saying there. So that doe that you um, that you stalked here in Georgia was, uh, did you have that on a video? Because I believe I saw that stalk, and you stick you stuck with it for a while. I did. Yep, and I did, yeah, it was on video. I was like I said, I was. Uh, now I did not put the actual shot on video right. um, because of the fact that YouTube is they frown upon that and they demonetize stuff. And there's rumors that um, any blood or any of that, they call that animal cruelty um, showing the shots and all this stuff. Well, right now they just demonetize your video, that particular video, but there's rumors that it's going the same way as the firearm industry is where uh, they're going to cut you out of the algorithms. They're going to slow your uh, spread. Uh, and I don't want that to happen. So I actually, you know, I, I, I make a living with the stuff that happens on YouTube so I started my Patreon page, which is where now this year I will put all of my full hunts on there. So everything I'm doing, you will, they will actually see the shots, the blood trails, the follow-up, me boning them out in the field, putting them in my pack, carrying them out. I can do all that on that Patreon channel. So that's why I kind of set that up. But you saw the one um, where you, you saw the, the nice, clean, YouTube-friendly version of that where I didn't show blood trails. I didn't show the, you know, I think I showed the animal for three seconds. Cause they said, if you show it longer than five, you get tagged, you know, right. that kind of thing. So I was just trying to follow the rules. So it's a very, uh, very um, politically correct. We'll call it uh video of it, but yes, you did. It was on YouTube. So, so how do people find your, your Patreon? Uh, the Patreon is uh, real easy. You go to patreon.com and then it's forward slash and it's, 
Trad Bow Podcast. So it's real easy there. Um, 15 bucks a month. There's a lot of benefits. It lists them all. I do map my hunt series is are going to happen there. Um, where I actually pull you up, I pull up the on X aerials and then I'm using it in Photoshop and I'm drawing lines and showing exactly what deer are doing there, why I hunt there, why I picked it, my approach routes, how to use it. And I do those right now about every, about almost once a week, once every two weeks, I'm doing a map my hunt series on there, but Every week there's a new video or podcast on there that is exclusive for members only, um, and they also get direct access to me. So my phone number is on there, uh, my email. I'm, I, I always try real hard to answer every comment and to answer every email, but I am getting big enough now that, you know, like YouTube's got 48,000 subscribers where I'm, I'm getting 100 to 150 uh, inquiries and emails and, you know, things like this per day. And I try real hard to keep up with them, but I'm getting to the point where I have to start telling people, you know, look, sorry, I, I I'll get back to you, but it's going to be a, a few days or, uh, some of them, I, my answers are getting very short just because of time. Well, with the Patreon, I made it where if they're Patreon members, they get my phone number, they get instant access. I'm right here. And I answer those ones immediately right off the bat. When I get an email from Patreon, that there's a new comment on a channel or an email from them, it comes through and says Patreon. So it just jumps right out in my inbox and it's right there for me real easy. So the Patreon channel has got a lot of benefits to it for people, um, but it's not necessary. I still put out two free videos a week on YouTube on my traditional bow hunting YouTube channel. I put out a video a week on my Samco workshop, which is not, it's a YouTube channel. It's not hunting related. And I put out a podcast every Monday for the, traditional bull hunting and wilderness podcast. Like I said, I'm trying to make a living full time on content creation and it's uh five days a week of something new coming out from me. So there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, that Patreon, what a great resource for people um to be able to, to contact you and just you know ask questions. Um those, so those were the so, biggest uh, factors with this oh go ahead, sorry. Oh I was just gonna ask so was your was your trip or your move down here was it um fueled by hunting is that is that kind of why you packed up from michigan to move down here was it um was it big related at all i mean uh what's your what's your take on that for me yes but i couldn't have done it if it wasn't if my wife wasn't on board um she loves it down here she absolutely loves it now we have both been down here winter time and we've been down here in the summers um, so we knew what we were getting into and she, she was just as happy to do it as I was. Um, so yeah, but for me personally, it is motivated by the hunt factor, being able to hunt 365 days a year, anytime I want. Um, I love deer hunting. I'll never stop deer hunting and deer hunting. It holds a very special place in my heart. Um, but those seasons are a little shorter and I'm, I'll be honest with you, hunting as much as I do, I hang about a hundred sets a year, multiple sets a day sometimes, but I, I, I'll, I'll hang a hundred tree stands a year. And by the time that season's starting to wind down, I'm sick and tired of being in a tree and I'm sick and tired of carrying stands with me. And uh, I am ready for a change. Well, that pig hunting is my change. I like pig hunting better than I do deer hunting. The freedom of it, the adventure along every single trip, it's not going set up in a tree and stay in one destination and sit there for five hours or 10 hours or whatever it is, depending on the season. Pig hunting is always moving, always something new to see, always exploring and uh, just nonstop action, and I straight up love it. What's your favorite animal to hunt? I would have to say a pig right now. I've hunted, uh, I haven't killed it. I mean, I haven't hunted a ton. I've never did an elk hunt or an antelope hunt. I've killed, uh, I've killed 
six or eight bears. I've killed uh, a few dozen hogs on the preserves, which were, were cool as well, too, back in the day. Like I said, I just haven't done it anymore. Uh, once it became kind of a bad thing to do high fence, I stopped doing it. And that was back, like I said, in the 90s. Um, and then uh, um, even though they were huge, 1,200 you know, acres, some of them 12,000 acres, they were massive in size places. But um, all these little ones were popping up that were like 40 acres in size, and they were like shooting fish in a barrel. And the whole thing just got a real bad rap and a bad name, and I kind of didn't want to be associated with it, so I stopped doing it then. Um but uh, and then I've killed, uh, like I said, eight or ten public land hogs down there. Uh, I killed a caribou. Um, probably missing a couple of things too. But most of my hunting is uh, deer. You know, I, I've killed. A, uh, I got to be somewhere. I have to count. I think I'm between 150 and 170 deer that I've killed. Um, so a lot of you know deer and hogs kind of are my whole world right now, and I'm I'm quite okay with that. Um, I don't I, I don't have any interest in going elk hunting or mule deer hunting or antelope hunting. Um, I, I just don't want to spend the money and, and go do those kind of things when I have access, especially now in Georgia, to unlimited resources of hunting in some of the most amazing places in the world um, I, and, and some of the toughest animals to hunt. I, I don't I don't see a need to, to go chasing things anywhere else, I guess. I, I don't know. It's kind of, I've never been, I've never been driven to, to head out West to go hunt out there. The caribou trip was amazing. That was incredible. And I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, but again, that was also at the time that cost me 2,800 bucks 20 years ago. And for me then, I mean, I had to save for two and a half years to make that, that 10 day trip happen. I don't, I don't want to do that no more. I don't want to have to save money for years to do one something. I'd rather move to a place where I can work less and hunt more and that's what I did. Yeah. Um, so back to you saying pig hunting is just an all-around adventure. I mean, I can definitely relate to that. Um, we went on a pig hunt um, South Georgia a few weeks back, a little over a month ago. And, man, it was um, just packed full of critters. I mean, not only pigs, but just every other animal you could imagine. Some stuff I, I hadn't even seen before. So that was a that was a lot of fun um doing that and it is it is a, an adventure um what do you um what do you think some of the the most important things to keep in mind when you're um when you're out there hunting for pigs i mean do you think it's a like a seasonal thing do you think scouting's most important uh, trying to hunt pigs that aren't pressured or is it the weather i mean what what would you what's your take on the the top things that you keep in mind when you're going to a new place to hunt? Uh, well, when it comes to deer, yes, yes, and yes on everything. With the exception of uh, my scouting, I do differently for deer. I cyber scout. I don't really scout for deer on the ground very often, except for like when I'm moving from a spot in the morning to a spot for the afternoon. I'm scouting then, but I usually cyber scout all my spots for deer but when it comes to pig hunting, I don't, uh, all I need to know when it comes to pig hunting is I want to look at aerial photos so that I, cause it's all swamp country here um, where I'm at. But uh, if I'm up in the mountains, I'll be looking at topos, uh, you know, in the hill country in North Georgia, if I'm out in Oklahoma or something like that, or Arkansas, where you're dealing with hills, I'd be paying attention to topo maps, but I'm looking at the terrain to tell, to look for piggy type terrain. And when I find that, all I need to know is the wind direction. I don't care if it's raining. I don't care if it's hot. I don't care if it's cold. I don't care if the wind's blowing. I, I don't care any of that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't scout for them except for when I'm on the way. I go there. If it's an area I think has pigs, 
Uh, then I go there and then I get on the ground and I start moving and looking. And if I'm finding pig sign, I start working it till it's fresher and fresher and keep going. And uh, I hopefully get into pigs. And if I don't, then I'll just uh, pack up and relocate and move to another area close by that I think is there. I do strategically try to knock areas out so that if I sent up an area, then I will pr- I try to send them up where I'm going to stack my areas. Uh, especially if I got like a week to hunt or something or four days, I am going to strategically start at the outer area of that and kind of crash them into a wall or something of some kind that is going to chant, you know, cause my scent works for me 24 seven. Some people think of it as a bad thing. Um, I, I use it as an employee and uh, I hire my scent to actually work for me while I'm gone. And I want it to do the job of any pigs or deer. I do it during deer hunting too. I want them to come in there, hit my scent that's there from that day that I, you know, earlier in the day when I was there. And I want it to lock them up and move them over. And I'm trying to move them in a direction like herding cattle to where I want them to put them in that kind of like a kill box type scenario. So when I do get there, if I can't catch them along the way, I'm herding them up into an area where I'm going to run right into them. That's good stuff. So the conditions in Georgia, uh, just wanted to, to kind of get your take on that and like how you navigate on and off the road. Uh, I've seen, you know, some of your videos on, on how you walk through the swamp while hunting, but do you ever walk roads or use your bike? So that you had a, a fat tire bike. I do for sure. Um, I, and, and actually I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, until you know where pigs are, some, the roadways are your best way, you know, especially in places like that. It's sandy. It's, you know, that kind of stuff. It's nice, but, um, but find the sign. Find, when you get to an area that you're looking for, you have to let the pigs tell you where they are. Pigs are nomads. They move with food. Uh, they have bedding areas they like to be in when they can, but food sources will move them. Um, and they, they, they're constantly transitioning and traveling around. And they're also, uh, I don't want to say they're nocturnal because when a pig's standing up, he's eating. And uh, they do eat during the day, and they are active during the day, but they're active in places you probably can't get into uh, without busting them before you get there. But um, So they're primarily nocturnal, but they're traveling great distances with that kind of thing. And when they do that, the sign can be all over the place, so it can be a lot more complicated um, to try and narrow that down. So let the sign do it for you, and then just stay with the freshest stuff. I use the sign and I use the terrain features. Those are the things that I'm helping drive my position. And even if the sign is incredible, I mean, incredible. Like if I see tracks that are still dripping water off the edges of them uh, in the mud and there's still water rolling off that, you know, the edge of that inside of that hook, if it's not in the right spot, I really don't care because I know that the pigs are probably not going to be right there right now that could have been a half hour ago or even 10 minutes ago and i can't keep up with him so i don't care where he was there i got to go to where he's going to be at this moment so i i use the terrain a lot more than i do the sign but both of them are vitally important and you don't know what those are you know the terrain in the area you can find that by looking at a map but you don't know anything else until you get there and start looking at the sign so use the roads use the the motorcycle trails the bike paths uh, the, you know, the, the creeks, the, the dry creek bottoms, use anything you can that is going to help you determine and be able to identify the sign. And, you know, obviously rooting tells you a ton too. You know, when you're finding where you're, they're rooting, you're finding they're, what they're eating. 
And, uh, you know, and then a lot of good tactics that some of my buddies use. I've never really been one to do this method, but it's how I that's how I got that three yard opportunity that I, I almost got a shot at on that first pig. Um, what I did is I, I hunted all day and throughout the day, I found that area that was heavily, heavily rooted up. It was over a mile and a half from where my truck was, three ridges um, in northern Georgia. So that was some pretty it was tough country there. But uh, um, but I found that area that was just heavily wrecked. And while I hunted all day, and then for the last hour and a half of daylight, I wanted to be back there and sitting and waiting. And that's exactly what I did. So that's a good tactic, too. Find those rooting areas that are fresh and are just wrecked and tore up. And then hunt all day, do what you want to do, but then uh, make sure you're back there, you know, for the end of the day and then in the next morning. And odds are that you're going to find them there. They're going to come into there. So one thing I noticed about when uh, when we were we were hunting South Georgia, man, we would we would wake up at you know butt crack of dawn, get out there, and man, it would it would really seem like it was kind of just barren. And I know that you know it was it was really hot. It was summertime when we went. You know, we'd, we'd go back, take a break, and we'd get there in the evening, man, and it was just like the woods came alive with these pigs, and it was like, man, I don't I don't really understand what's going on. Why aren't we seeing them in the morning times? And, you know, that was that was tough to figure out, but we kind of came to the conclusion that you really need to be out there in in kind of a general area before the sun even comes up, um, and that was, um, that was kind of a tough learning curve, and I think it was a lot of... Um, a lot of miles walked and um, a lot of time not not wasted, but it was it was all learning. So um, that was that was a challenge for us is um, figuring out the the evening hunts are going to be the best, and if you're going to be out there in the mornings, you need to be out there before the sun even comes up. Um, well before the sun even comes up in your spot, you're thinking about hunting. Have you noticed anything um, that goes along with that? I have for sure. Um, now I'm very stubborn in the fact that I don't care what the weather does or the timing factor. I'm out there. Um, you know, I, I, I don't stop, you know, like when I'm pig hunting, for example, um, I'm out, I'm out there right at crack of daylight. Um, if not earlier, um, honestly, I have, you know, now that I know these areas and I've been on a lot of these WMAs, I'll be out there before daylight on many of them. But last year I was hitting so many new WMAs I've never been to. I thought, well, it's kind of pointless to be tromping around out there an hour before daylight when I don't even know what it is. Um, so I waited till right at first light and started then. But uh, um, but all day long, you know, you can, you're learning. Like I said, even if you're not, you know, people are like, well, midday is no good. Go back and take a nap. Well, I, I don't do that. I'm using that midday to, again, check these areas, look for those areas where I might want to set up at in the evening, look for areas that I think they might come through. And I will stop. If I eat lunch, I'm eating lunch usually on the trail right there, unless I happen to be relocating. But I'm, I'm out there every single second of daylight on that day doing everything I can to try and find those pigs. And the one thing I've noticed is, like you said, nine times out of ten, the evenings are where it's at. You know, um, the woods comes alive in the evening. Pig hunting is also very hard. A lot of people have it in it. Well, maybe let me rephrase that. Maybe it's still very hard for me because I've only been doing it for three years. I've killed, like I said, you know, eight or 10 pigs here. I'd have to count, but, um, but it's, it's still very, very hard to do. And I think people have a lot of the wrong ideas in their head. They think it's easy. They think they're going to come down here and they're going to walk and there's going to be pigs everywhere. And it's going to be that easy. I mean, I can go, I I've had times this year, even that I documented in videos where I've went, I've been out for six days. Well, it's, it's six half days. I was hunting a lot of half days this year too. 
but uh, I'd be out there for six half a day, six full mornings, and not see a pig at all, not see one, you know. And then on the seventh one, I'd see 23 pigs, you know. Um, so it's like I said, it's just there's so many variables that come into play to it. It is not easy. Um, a lot of people come down here and want to, you know, they're coming down for three days and they think it's going to be all, you know, easy peasy. You start walking eight to 10 miles a day and you do that for two days and you do that in snake boots or, uh, you know, anything like that. Like I said, it's going to wake you up real quick. You, you'll learn how you're feeling. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is not easy at all. And then you throw a traditional bow in the mix and that completely changes the narrative. So with that, I'm going to ask you this. I got to know currently, do you have any mentors or have you in the past? And then who do you credit? continuing to fan your flame for traditional bow hunting and it keeps you going yeah i do actually um you know i'm a uh, uh you know my buddy john john tucker he owns cactus saddle um incredible guy and i've known him now for 30 about 30 years technically but uh he's always been kind of like he's 10 years older than me he's a guy of mine he's been that guy that's uh so he taught me ethics early on and uh a lot of a lot of things. I, I look up to him, and he's he's just a heck of a hunter, heck of an outdoorsman, and he knows things about things, animals, and stuff that just blows your mind. Um, I once watched him. We were hunting rabbits on a field one day, and he, down in in Michigan in the snow, and about a foot of snow, and he stopped me in my tracks. He just you know he threw his bow across my chest and stopped me. And uh, he was, there's a hole in the ground in the snow, just a little hole about the size of a golf ball in the snow. And he just hands me his bow. He takes his hands and he just scoops down on both sides of that hole. And he comes up with a pheasant, <laughs> a real live pheasant. Right. He's like, they dive in, they just fold their wings up and poof, and they dive right under the snow. And that's where they nest at. It's like, how do you know this stuff? You know, he just, uh, so he's always been a mentor of mine. Um, Warren Womack, just incredible. The guy is just a machine and he is just pure hunting ethics and pure, uh, knowledge and hunts the way I do, or I should say I hunt the way he does. And he is just uh skill and he is just the nicest guy and willing to give education to anybody that asks for it. He's just kind of the all round kind of person you want to be. And uh, Robert Carter right here in Georgia too. He's another one. Now, I've never met him either. Um, talked to him, you know, through social media, things like that. But, uh, you know, followed him for many, many years, even back in the days when I used to be like on trad gang forums and stuff like that. Um, but like I said, he's another one. He's just a, a hunting machine that hunts the way I do. And uh, anytime he opens his mouth, I pay attention to it. I don't care if it's a grocery list. I'm going to hear what he has to say. Yeah, you're right, Robert. We uh, we actually know Robert and Warren as well. We follow him on social media, and you're, you're completely, completely correct about that. Those guys are a wealth of knowledge, and you spend a little bit of time around them and listen, and you'll, uh, you'll definitely learn, that's for sure. So I've got to ask this i saw this on one of your videos and it's funny we were just down south georgia big hunting and introduced to this by dindy cromer one of our friends that it was a pack that he had put together for processing game and now i think anybody is out there selling your your game bags and the cost of them are crazy how much they cost now to buy a kit uh so i, I was going to ask could you share how, what exactly is in your kit because i know what dindy had in his and, and using the pillowcase uh, and that just intrigued me right off the bat uh, from having your own personal game processing kit when you're out miles and miles away from the truck and you're trying to pack meat back back in. Yeah, for deer, I use, well, for uh, for deer, I don't mind using game bags, the stretchy ones, because 
a deer is too heavy to sling over his shoulder, so I'm actually going to actually put it in my pack or strap it and load sling it in on my bag. Um, so them I don't mind using a game bag, but for pigs I 100% will only use pillowcases because uh, they don't have any bounce to them. When there's and uh, you know, so I sling them right over my shoulder. But I carry a pillowcase, I carry rubber gloves, I carry a Havilon knife just because I it's it's that way I don't have to sharpen it. Um, you know, I don't have to mess with it, and it's just quick, clean, and fast. So I like a Havilon with a replacement blade, but I still carry my uh, Bradford or an Essie Azula. I always have a knife in my front pocket, a fixed blade that dangles in my front pocket every day. Um, and uh, so I have those. But when it comes to processing animals, rubber gloves, a pillowcase, a Havilon knife, and those little individual packs of wet wipes uh, where I can get one wet wipe in there. But that's pretty much with me. Uh, everywhere I go, and uh, with that, I can take a pig apart, and you know, in about a half hour, and have it in a pillowcase, and I swing it right over my shoulder like Santa Claus, and just carry it out that way. And uh, now, if it was a really big pig, I don't think I've killed any any monsters that that have been where I've had to do that yet. But if I if I had to, um, the packs I use would let me be able to uh, uh, split the weight. So what I mean by that is, inside of my pack, I always carry a garbage bag just a regular hefty kitchen garbage bag. And I could, if it, if it was too heavy on my shoulder, I could take and put half of that meat in a garbage bag, throw it right inside of my pack. And, you know, I couldn't probably fit a whole huge pig or a whole deer in my little pig hunting pack, but I could put half of one in there and then the other half over my shoulder and just carry it out that way. But you just put a knot in the end of that pillowcase and you just uh, grab it with your hand and it's just real easy to hold on to and it works fantastic. Now you're not putting any type of hefty bag or any kind of you know heavy duty trash bag in there inside the pillowcase. It's just a pillowcase by itself, right? Correct. Just a pillowcase by itself. And if you uh you know, I, I have never had um you know, the meat doesn't leak a lot. You're going to get a little, if you're swinging it over your shoulder on the back corner, like kind of where your kidneys are, you're going to have a little bit of uh, maybe a little wetness, a little slime even there for a second, you know, but uh, maybe even a little bit of blood, but nothing that doesn't wash right out. I mean, uh, you know, there's not a tremendous amount of blood in the meat. Same with deer. You know, when you bone an animal out in the field, you get very little blood. I mean, very, very little and uh, it almost basically just puts a little bit of stain on certain spots on the bag, but it doesn't, you know, it's not like it's dripping through. And uh, as soon as I walk it out that whatever it is, mile or two miles back to the truck, when I get there, then I, then it goes right in the cooler. You know, I put the whole game bag, I put that whole pillowcase and everything right in the, in the cooler. And now you're just throwing that pillowcase in the washing machine with, with the sheets when you get home, right? After no, I don't even do that. <laughs> I, what I do with them is I well I, what I do is I just take them right in my sink and uh, I put a little bit of bleach in my you know in my little wash tub you know little you know in a little bowl put a take a bowl put it in your sink fill it full of hot water put a little bleach in there and then just uh, put that pillowcase in there and agitate it for about thirty seconds and then let it soak in there for another two or three minutes pull it up wring it rinse it and then put it you know hang it out to dry and then throw it right back in your pack. I've used the same pillowcase now for about eight, eight, nine animals. Same exact, same one. I'm sure your wife's happy that you put it in the sink first. I know mine would, uh, she would, uh, well, I don't want to tell you what she would do to me, but if I try to put it <laughs> in the washing, that's great. I, I promise you I'll be taking that with me. I actually am planning to go to Canada uh, in October on a moose hunt. And so I, I'm be out there. I'm sure there'll be some supplies. We're going with an outfitter, but at the end of the day, um, might use that in the future, that whole concept. 
You're gonna need a big pillowcase. Yeah. Maybe a bed sheet. Well, well, for moose. Now, I, I've never hunted moose. It is it is an animal I would definitely like to hunt one day. But if I was doing a hunt for moose, um, especially given the cost of that trip, it might not be a bad idea to invest in at least a couple of the actual dedicated synthetic game bags. And the reason I say that is for the strength and the uh, um, ability to just uh, prevent everything from getting through them. They, they won't let the flies in. They won't let a lot of stuff. Uh, pillowcases, like I said, they're tough and they're durable, and I put them through the ringer, uh, but I don't know how well they're going to do as far as, uh, you know, holding up to everything for seven or eight days hanging in trees and uh, constantly being dipped in water. Or what You know, I, I don't know. So that one I can't comment on for sure, but if it was me and I was doing a moose hunt, I would spend a 60 bucks or 80 bucks or whatever and buy a few synthetic bags to take with me just for the fail safe. Yeah, that's good. I'll definitely take your advice on that. So uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, and you know, I've been curious about this. You, um, you're a, you like the Northern Miss longbows a lot, don't you? I do. Best, best so, shooting longbow I've ever shot in my life. So it, it's your, it's your go-to uh, hunting bow every year? Yes. Has been for the last uh, six, seven, eight years. Somewhere in there, um, and I thought when I bought it, actually though, um, I knew I, I knew of Steve and I knew of his bows, and he was right there in Michigan. He was only about five hours away from me, and uh, but I had never shot one or messed with it. I happened to be in a sporting goods store up here that had a used one of his bows there, and it was right-handed. I'm left-handed, but I shot it, checked it out, shot it. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna call him up. I want a new bow anyway, and I'm gonna call him up and uh, have him make me one. And I thought if I don't like it that much, I'll just use it as a bow fishing bow. And uh, so I called him and had him make one for me, and he did. And the second I went up and picked it up, and I did an interview with him up there and got it. And uh, I paid full price for it, everything like that. I've never got any, anything from him for, for free or even a discount. I even pay, I tip him tremendously over what the cost of the bow is. So uh, none of his freebies. Um, he's one of my really, really good friends now. Um, but his bows they just man i'll tell you what they they shoot like a dream i think i got five of his bows now and uh um, i shoot the hill style classic styles now the straight limb straight grip have been for the last probably five years and i i won't go back to anything else i i love those bows actually today uh while i had some free time at work i watched your uh why your arrows are is more important than your bow and that that was such a great video because like i told you i'm i'm still uh new at this i'm only a year in with the whole traditional i've been hunting a while but the traditional um and it just kind of it lit a spark and kind of um made me realize i need to focus more on my my arrow builds and um and making sure that that's all squared away and i love my bows i've i've accumulated probably more than the average person doing this a year probably should but um uh, i'm thinking now i need to maybe take a step back and and start paying more attention to my arrows because I'm, I enjoy shooting wood arrows. I have a couple of sets of alumina arrows, but man, wood is um, wood is kind of what I'm thinking I want to stick with. Um, so for that, I, I want to thank you because um, there's been some issues and it was very frustrating at first to to get started with um, tuning arrows and um, it's it's different than a than a compound. Yeah, you can't you can't tune an arrow in a traditional bow until you tune the way you shoot the bow. You know, you have to have somewhat consistency in your form and your style before you can even start thinking about tuning arrows so it is kind of weird in the beginning um but the arrows are everything since there's nothing you can tune on your bow other than your knock 
in your brace height, there's really not much you can mess with on your bow. It all comes down to what you can do with the arrows. And, and the arrows do all of the work for you. Um, it's never a bad thing to have too many bows, you know, so the more bows you got, the better. You can't ever have a bad thing there. And uh, it's impossible to, even though, like I said, I love these bows by Steve, it, the Northern Miss bows, um, today you can't buy a bad bow. Now, like I said, you go back 25 years ago, I couldn't say that. 25 years ago, there were some horrible bows out there. And uh, they would blow up, come apart, didn't weren't glued right. Um, they would look like they were sanded with road gravel. I mean, you ran into all kinds of things. Today, that stuff doesn't fly and it's not acceptable. And you could a boyer wouldn't survive if they did it. So the bows you buy today, you can't buy a bad one. They're all good. The, they all shoot well. The formulas for how to how to build them the right way um, for limb flex and tillery, all this information is available to these boyers. And uh, and you you just can't buy a bad bow today. Absolutely. And we could sit here and talk about this all day. I really enjoy talking to you. I'm sure the other guys have enjoyed this as well. I really want to thank you for for taking the time out of your busy schedule. You're a very busy man. You got a lot of a lot of things going on. And just want to thank you for that. And hope that you have a safe trip home. And good luck with the move. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, good luck with the podcast. Like I said, I'm excited to listen to these. Uh, when I get back home tomorrow and I'm in the office and I'm editing all day, I will have I will be going through your first four episodes. I'm excited to uh, you know to see it and see how things are going. And if there's anything I can ever help you guys with, just let me know. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time and uh, just taking the time to talk to us. And we look forward to getting some feedback from you on this podcast. I'm looking forward to it as well, too. Thanks again, guys. Thank you.